0: in and take a seat. For those of you, by the way, that didn't get one of these sheets, they're out in the foyer at the Welcome Center. You can grab one as you leave, if you would like to participate in that way. Well, I'm curious, by the way, how many of you have been watching any of the impeachment hearings? Okay. I'm not asking what you think about it, I just asked if you were watching Uh, In this day and age in which news is uh, in many ways a far cry from news, it's largely opinion pieces, Uh, and in a day and an age which uh, we have much discussion about fake news, I came across an interesting story that uh, talked about the way in which reporting is impacted by geography by where you live actually can determine, like if you Google a certain subject, where you live can determine what will come up so that you think it automatically is gonna be the first thing at the top of the list. No, it wouldn't be for somebody else who lives somewhere else. So this is a story about how geography actually impacts news, and this is especially a story for Mark Bennett, okay? I thought of him and I wanted to make sure I did that just for Mark, all right? And it goes like this. Two boys were playing football in Central Park when one was attacked by a Rottweiler. His friend, thinking quickly, ran over to a nearby fence, ripped a board off the fence, put the fence post down between the collar of the dog and its neck and twisted until he broke the dog's neck. A reporter who was walking by saw this occur and began to jot down notes in his notebook, and he ran over to this little boy, and he said, can I ask you some questions? The little boy said, okay. He says, "All right. here's the title of my article. My title is, Young Bill's Fan, Save's Friend from Vicious Animal. And the little boy looked at him and said, but, sir, I'm not a Bill's fan. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I just assumed since you were from this area that you must be a Bill's fan. So he crossed it off and he wrote down, little giant's fan rescues friend from horrific attack. And the little boy looks at him and says, I'm not a Giants fan. And he said, I'm sorry, I just assumed everybody from New York was either a Bills fan or a Giants fan. What team do you root for? You don't root for the Jets, do you? And the little boy looked at him and said, no, I'm a Cowboys fan. The reporter rips off the sheet and writes down, out of control maniac kills beloved family Pat. It's all about perspective, isn't it? Now that we have officially moved away from Thanksgiving and into the Advent or the Christmas season, how you see things is affected directly by your perspective about things. My guess is that in this room, there are those of you who share different views on Christmas, different perspectives about Christmas. I have a friend who uh, about, oh, probably, I'm going to guess four years ago, maybe it was five years ago, I'm not good with time. He awakened on Christmas morning, went downstairs, put the coffee on, started breakfast, and then went upstairs to awaken his wife only to discover that that night she had passed in her sleep. It's a true story. He was a pastor over in Attica. I say that to say that for some of you, you think Christmas, like that old song says, is the most wonderful time of the year. But for others, it's a time of pain. For some... This has been a year of gain. For others, it's been a year of loss. And I have found that some people, to the amazement of others, don't like Christmas. Because for them, it hearkens to a sense of nostalgia that Christmas is pictured as being a certain way by the world and even by the church. But it's not that way for them. And it never has been. And it's like It promises something that falls short of the reality for them. For some people, the shrinking of time becomes so much more apparent at this season than any other time of the year. Um, I don't know if you've noticed it, but let me just ask you, have you noticed that sometimes stores like even Walmart jump right past Thanksgiving to Christmas with hardly even a blink of an eye? Did you notice that this year, this is not an exaggeration, This year, they put up Halloween stuff, harvest stuff. At the same time, they put up Christmas stuff. At the same time, all of it blended together. So you had the ghoulishness of Halloween, you had the Thanksgiving of our gratitude, and you had the greed of Christmas all mingled in together as one holiday this year. In fact, they're talking about doing away with Black Friday altogether. What's the point anymore? They stay open all Thanksgiving. So, how do you see this season? What is your perspective of this season? I want to share with you today two people's perspectives on this time of the year. One is the prophet Isaiah, and the other one is a man by the name of St. Nicholas. Uh, there, there is on the, your left would be the uh, Kodak picture of Isaiah the prophet. And on the right is, of course, St. Nicholas. Uh, The legend of jolly old St. Nick actually started with this guy on the right, St. Nicholas, who was an actual person who lived in the 4th century, who was a bishop of the church in Myra, which was a city on the coast of Turkey at that time. Tradition says that St. Nicholas was actually imprisoned for years because of his generosity of heart during the reign of terror of Diocletian, who was one of the most evil Roman emperors of that day. He was only let out of prison when Constantine took the throne of Rome and made Christianity the state religion. He was finally released. But he was known for his generosity, and over the years, he has been kind of adopted as the quote patron saint of Christmas because he loved to be able to give. His transformation into Santa Claus actually began in Germany where he was called Chris Kringle which was derived from the words Christ Kindle which means the Christ child. So Christ Kringle Kringle Chris Kringle. So all of that kind of blended in together and he became known as Sint-Nicholas, or sinter Claus, also within that same region. And some Germans coming over to the United States of America, landed in what was called New Amsterdam, now we call it Manhattan, actually brought this tradition with us. But the guy that you see on the sleigh right there, he didn't become famous until about the 1800s with the stories of Washington Irving and that whole picture that we have of Santa Claus's jolly old Saint Nick actually became famous with the artistry of Thomas Nast. And then the poem by Clement Moore, which goes towards the night before Christmas. And all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. All of that kind of came around this idea of St. Nicholas. So, what I want to do today is I want to talk about what would Isaiah and St. Nicholas say to us about this Christmas season and our perspective of it. The first thing I believe they would say would be this. Focus on Christmas, not commercialism. Did you know that there are actually two holidays that are celebrated on December 25th? C.S. Lewis wrote a short story several years ago, and the name of the story is Xmas and Christmas. And the story goes like this there was a place called the, um, an island called Neuroturb, Neuraturb which is actually Britain spelled backwards for those of you that care about that kind of thing. And every December, the Nerturbians would celebrate Xmas. Every day was a celebration, a time to gather together. And they would go out and they would buy cards and they would buy gifts for friends and family. And they would eat all kinds of foods and drinks and have parties and chorus concerts and band concerts and... Do Handel's Messiah. They did all of that kind of stuff. But as the time got closer to December 25th, which was the big day for Xmas, C.S. Lewis says several of them began to be pale and weak and had no strength left. In fact, several of them, because of eating so much and drinking so much, were too sick to even stay up to celebrate on December 25th. But C.S. Lewis says on that same day, there was another holiday that was called Christmas. And it was a holy time remembering god's gift to the world and to some extent that's kind of what we're faced with in our society what do you celebrate what is your perspective is your perspective that everything that has gone on has been xmas or is your perspective that it has been christmas focus on christmas not commercialism the story reminds me of a few years ago a reporter was in tokyo japan And uh, in Tokyo, they're, they're as big about Christmas as we are. It's a huge event over there. And people were out shopping. And so this reporter was going along the scenes just questioning everybody. What do you think about Christmas? What does Christmas mean to you? So he came to this one young woman and he said, what do you think is the true meaning of Christmas? And she laughs and giggles and she says, I don't know, isn't that the day that Jesus died? And I want to suggest to you that for some people, the way in which they treat Christmas their perspective, they have killed Christ off. He he has little to no part in Christmas at all anymore for them. Living about 1,100 years before St. Nicholas was a man by the name of Isaiah. And he had some things to say to us that I want us to look at today in his writings that I believe can be God's word to us for the season. So if you have your Bible, you could open up to Isaiah chapter 1. He starts right off with the potential dangers that this time of the year can be for Christians. Isaiah 1.10, and if you don't have Bibles, it's up on the screen for you. It says this, Hear the word of the Lord. And again, remember, Isaiah is writing to God's people now. He's not writing to the heathens. He's writing to, quote, Christians. And he says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Here, Isaiah compares... His people to Sodom and Gomorrah, which were symbols of carnality, but if you read in Ezekiel, they were also symbols of selfishness and greed. And he compares his people to them. And then he says this, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or goats, when you come to appear before Me, who has required this from your hand to trample My courts? Now, think about it. Who was it that first instituted the whole idea of sacrifice? Who was it that said, blood must be shed for the remission of sins? I thought it was God. And I think it was. But the problem was that for these people, their sacrifices, their worship, had become nothing more than ritual. They were going through the motions without giving one thought to what it was even about. And I think that could even happen here. Where you can come in on a Sunday, you can see the words projected, you can sing the words, but give no thought to what you're actually singing. In fact, sometimes, I think God actually tricks us into singing things that we would never say with our rational minds. Do you take seriously your faith in Christ? Because that's what Isaiah is challenging. He says, You bring in your sacrifices, but you're really just trampling my courts, making it a bloody mess. Their worship was just an act. There was no real meaning. He says in verse 13, bring no more futile sacrifices. L- listen to the words he uses for their worship. Futile. Incense is an abomination. An abomination. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meetings. He calls them iniquitous, evil. Religious activity alone can never and will never be enough for God. He wants something more than outward form. He wants an inward sincerity of heart. He wants you to be a part of that which is given in worship. A calendar filled with religious activities, going to all the concerts, going to all of the chorus concerts, going to the band concerts. Please hear me, because I know this is going to bother you. I don't mean to bother you, but I want you to think about it. You making sure that you make amazing memories for your kids isn't enough. Not if you don't tell them what the season is even about. You've made it about Xmas instead of Christmas. He says in verse 14. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They're trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing with them. Imagine Isaiah walking in here today and saying, I hate your Christmas holiday. He says here, uh, your appointed feast." That's talking about Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Three major feasts that all of Israel had to gather together for. So it's like taking our Thanksgiving, our Christmas, and our Easter, rolling it all into one, and God says, I'm weary of it. I hate it. It's an abomination to me. And He even takes it a step farther. In the previous verse, He talks about their Sabbath worship. So it's like God coming in here and saying, I hate your worship service. So, By this point, you're all sitting here thinking, wow, this is an encouraging Christmas message. Maybe you're even wondering, is it okay for us to do anything? Is it okay for us to put cards out on the table? Is it okay for us to buy gifts? Is it okay for us to have turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy? Is it okay for us to go to concerts? And my answer is simply this, of course it is. I don't think God cares whether you do that or not. I think what God does care about is whether you put your heart into things or not. Whether you actually know what you're doing. Or do you just go through the motions? Do you send cards because people send you cards and if you don't send them cards, there's going to be offense? Or do you send cards out of a sense of love and care? Or is it an obligation to you? Maybe for you, you said, I'm not going to live with obligation anymore, but you got to make sure you put that Facebook post that morning so everybody knows, okay, I didn't send you a card, but I'm sending you Facebook. Yeah. Do you do it out of the depth of your heart, knowing that you are celebrating the coming of your Savior, or you do it just to get along with societal systems that are all around us? I don't think God cares whether you have a tree or not. I hear all kinds of people, I, 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 I know, sure shooting Come December, some Christian, some friend is going to post about how the Christmas tree is a cultic thing and you should never have a tree. I don't think God cares whether you have a tree in or out of your house. I don't think He cares if you have lights. I think He does care if in doing it, you're celebrating Jesus' presence. That He is Emmanuel who has come near to you. I hope you do enjoy Christmas. I hope you enjoy everything about Christmas. The lights, the celebrations, getting together with family. I want you to enjoy all of those festivities and traditions. But I think you ought to do it from a heart of love for Jesus and for His people, which is all of creation. So, what is it that we can do? I just want to give you a couple of suggestions of things that you can do that might actually make a difference this Christmas. The first is, let the song of worship permeate everything. I was uh, in Walmart, and again, I know that I'm getting old enough that people expect me to do weird things, and so I I just want to honor that expectation. So when I'm in Walmart, here, can you stand up for a minute? Okay, here's the cash register, and we're standing in line, and everybody's standing in line waiting, nobody does anything. I turn around and I just face this person, just for fun, just stare at (laughs) him. Yes, that's the look on their face. And finally I say, so, so how's it going? I was just watching you can sit down here, I, I'm sorry. Um, I was watching a post that somebody put on a mom's page. I I'd never read mom's post because what's the point? It doesn't fit. But I was reading this post, and here's a mom ranting at other moms because they're giving moms who are going through Walmart or some Target store or whatever, pushing a cart with a kid that's having a fit, and they're scowling at the mom and this other mom is saying, what's wrong with you? Don't you know your kids have done the same thing at some point? How about you actually smile at them and encourage them a little bit? Well, how about you do the same thing? How about you actually turn and talk to people in line? And be nice and smile at them. But the other thing I noticed is I I was standing in uh, Walmart, I've done it at Bud's, I've done it at different places, you're standing there and you're thinking, you're, 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 you feel the stress of the season, you've got to get this gift, you want to get it for the best price, you want to get the perfect gift that she won't know about or he won't know about. You do all of that, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, I'm hearing a song that's glorifying Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that? That during this season of all times of the year, they will actually play songs that glorify God. And my statement to you is, why don't you at least hum along? Or if you're like me and you don't care, sing. Go ahead and sing. What are they going to do? Kick you out of their store? No, they want your money. (laughs) Go ahead and sing. Let worship permeate it all, but make sure it's worship of Emmanuel, God with us. Second thing you could do, is maybe before you ever open even one present on Christmas morning, maybe you might want to think about reminding your family what Christmas is about and even offering a prayer of thanks for God's grace to you throughout this whole year. Let His presence come into your time as a family. And remember that though we celebrate Him as the babe in a manger, He doesn't stay a babe. He grows up. And he is the Lamb of God who hung upon a tree. So this Christmas, remind your people what it's even about. In the midst of all the preparation, and maybe this isn't the way it is for your family. I hope not. Maybe it is just my family. But when you're trying to join all the different components of families together, you know, all of the Siblings, all of that together into one place, and you're going to have the meal, and you have to come up with a menu and how you're going to do — what time's everybody going to arrive, and what are we going to eat? And do we have snacks first, or do we go right into the meal, or do we open gifts first? All that kind of stuff can become a horrendous amount of stress. So I have actually wondered sometimes, how many Christmas tables are actually awkward because of all of the pressure and stresses that have led up to the preparation where people are upset with one another. How about this Christmas? While we're trying to make room and place for people to be together, how about you actually take time to like being with people? Just sit down with them. Maybe arrange a time when you could go down to a vertical cafe and have a latte. It's okay. There's no sin in a latte. I don't know how many calories are there, but there's no sin. Go ahead. Enjoy being with one another. Celebrate the goodness of God in your connections and relationships with one another. Um, When Jesus came, the angels declared peace on earth, goodwill towards men. How about you try that in your family this Christmas? A little bit of peace and a little bit of goodwill. Maybe, and I know this is getting awfully close to the edge, maybe you might even consider buying an Advent candle wreath and an Advent book and you actually take your children through it this Christmas? Maybe an Advent tree, where you can every day remind them of about truth, about God and what He's done for us. I don't think you're worshipping the candles. You're worshipping Him who is the light of the world. Make Christmas special. So, he warns us against commercialism. He also then would say, focus not only on Christmas and not commercialism, Focus on charity and not self. A substantial portion of our holiday gift giving is really just an exchange. You give, expecting to get. And if you don't, you take note of it in your notes for next year. Oh, I'm not gonna give them a card, they didn't give me a card. Why would I bother wasting time and money? Stamps, stamps are, how much are stamps? I don't know, I buy those uh, universal, whatever they call uh, eternal stamps. Eternal. Eternal stamps? Forever. Isn't eternal and forever pretty close to the same? Yeah, I don't think they're eternal at all. Take that off of the tape. I'm sorry, USPS. Um, but we give expecting to get. How about this Christmas you find somebody that you can actually give to that you know can't give in return? Find somebody that you can bless and say, I just wanted to give this. I wanted to lavish something upon you and you don't expect anything and you don't want anything back. You just want to give because that's the heart of Christmas. Focus on charity, not on self. Isaiah puts it this way in verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Here, Isaiah speaks to three different kinds of charity. The first is the charity of God that saves us from our sins. He says it in verse 16. He says, make yourself clean. He's talking about how God comes. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness the charity of God in being our Savior. He talks about the charity of God that enables us to live anew in a different way than we had before. He says, stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. God elevates everything. Paul says in Ephesians, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he might have something to give to those who have need. The implication is this. God doesn't just say, you who stole, stop stealing. Now work so you can take care of yourself. That would be good. But God takes it even higher. He says, no, I want you to work so that you can take care of yourself, but also so that you can help others who are in need. A charity that changes how we perceive things, how we look at things, and how we do things. It gives us a new life. I don't know about you, but I know that for me personally, the last several years have been significant change points in my life. I don't want to be the same. I'm getting too old to become an old, cantankerous man. I don't want to be that old person that everybody avoids. I want to be His presence in the earth. His signet ring, if you would. And we'll look more at that in a couple of weeks. And then he says there's the charity of God towards the needy in our community. He says, encourage the oppressed, defend the fatherless, plead the widow's case. That's part of the reason why as a church we do some of the things we do. I've had people say to me, why why do you put so much out into the community? Why why do you, through one of the ministries of this church, the Redemption Center, why do you help give the police money to do the shop with a cop day? Why do you help pay for fireworks. Why did you help pay to renovate the theater? So that we can be a part of our community and express love to our community, love God, love people, love Warsaw. Why do we have teams that go to the nursing homes? You know, those old people that everybody else, I mean, even some of them, their own kids don't come and visit them. So why do we? Why do we go into the jail? You know, those people that are no good? have blown it already. They're not worth our time, are they? Why do we do that? Because God loves the elderly, even those that don't even know who they are anymore. God loves the incarcerated, even though maybe they did the crime, even though they plead their innocence. God loves them every bit as much as He loves you. And it's our privilege to be able to show charity or love to people around us. This Christmas, let's practice Christmas by doing acts of charity without expecting anything in return. Search for people in need and see if you can't help them. And then finally, the third point, focus on Christ, not Claus. This time of the year in which the world puts so much emphasis upon Santa Claus, everything is Santa Claus everywhere we go, and again, I don't have any problem with somebody dressing up in a Santa Claus outfit. I'm looking at how old people are in this room. Okay. By now, you hopefully all know. Um, I don't have any problem with somebody dressing up in a Santa Claus outfit. I really don't. And if you want to take your kids to go see Santa Claus, and Santa Claus, I don't care. I really don't. I don't think it matters. As long as at some point in time you remind them of the true meaning of Christmas. That Jesus is and always will be the reason for this season. It's all about Him. Focus on Him, not the icon of Santa Claus or jolly old Saint Nick. Isaiah puts it this way, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. And then a couple of chapters later, He says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government will be upon His shoulder. And His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom, to order it and establish it with justice and judgment from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. If St. Nicholas were here today, I think he would say, look to the babe in the manger not to the decorations on your mantle. Look to the Savior, not some sleigh pulling gifts. Look to the Redeemer and not the reindeer. One of my favorite stories at this time of the year is about a a young boy, 7th grader, by the name of William Sperling. William Sperling was big for his age. He was a 7th grader, but he looked like he could have been in high school. He was a big boy, Uh, but he was a gentle boy. And all of the kids in his class loved him, partly because he was so big, so that they had any problem with the eighth graders in middle school, they'd just make sure that William was on their side and they would leave him alone. Uh, But when it came time for their little school to do a Christmas dramatization of the Christmas story, William wanted to be one of the shepherds. But the teacher said, no, you're big and you've got a deeper voice. I want you to be that mean, gruff, old innkeeper. So finally he agreed to do it. And come the night of the play, they're going through all of the different scenes, and finally Mary and Joseph on a donkey that was just another little kid dressed up in gray, Mary and Joseph come to the door of the inn and they knock on the door and they ask to be let in. And William Sperling's line was this, there is no place for you to stay, there's no room in the inn. Joseph responds and says, but my wife is pregnant. She's going to give birth soon. Can't we have just even a small corner of some room? Again, William Sperling says, no, be gone. There's no room here. And again, Joseph pleads with him. And at that point in time, something happened that was unexpected. William Sperling forgot his lines. He was a little bit slow. (coughs) And so you could hear, if you were one of the parents in the front rows watching this dramatization, you could hear the teacher behind the curtain saying, no, be gone, leave. And there's this long pause, and finally William Sperling whispers, no, be gone. And Mary and Joseph start to turn around and leave. But before they could get more than a step or two, William Sperling with a loud voice yelled out, wait a minute! You can have my room. I'll sleep in the barn. The teacher thought he had just ruined their play. But the truth is, he caught the meaning of Christmas unlike many others. Isn't that really what Jesus did for you? He said, no. You can take my place. I'll take your place on the cross. Because the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Christmas made all the difference. God wrapped up a gift, and He gave it. And the only question today is, have you received that gift? Have you received the greatest gift that has ever been given to anyone in all of time in history? Will you receive it with joy, or will you reject it today? Because that's His offer. His offer is to you right now, my Son in your place for your sins. And it's not enough to say, oh, I know all about that, Pastor. I, I, back when I was a kid, I, I went to church. I know the story about Jesus. I know about Christmas. I know about Easter. I know all of it. I'm glad you do. My point isn't, do you know about it? Have you done anything about it? Are you living for Him now? Are you a follower of Jesus? I'm not asking if you've said some sinner's prayer. I'm asking, are you a follower of Jesus for this Christmas season? If we accept his gift, he promises to give us not only forgiveness of our sins, but best of all, he gives us himself, his presence, Emmanuel, God with us. God offers every single one of us that gift today. How will you celebrate Christmas this year? Would you stand with me? Next week, as I said, is going to be a special Christmas service. I'd encourage you to come and invite some friends, maybe some friends that don't go to church anywhere or haven't been to church in forever. Invite some friends, come. And, uh, it's going to be different than what this service has been like, but I think it will be encouraging, and it will be uh, an enjoyable time for everyone. I also wanted to mention that um, starting in January, I'm going to be starting a new series on a small little book, two chapters, in the Old Testament, the book of Haggai. So you might want to read that ahead of time in preparation. I actually think Haggai could have been preached today because it has so much to say. Right now I'm intending that there will be four sermons on those two little chapters. That will be the shortest series I think I've ever done. And um, so far I like three of them. Fourth one I'm not sure about yet. I'll see. But my hope and my prayer is that this Christmas season, you don't waste it by getting caught up in commercialism Caught up in selfishness and greed. And caught up in the iconology of this world system that paints Santa Claus or Father Christmas as being the Lord of all when he's not. There is already a Lord who is Lord of all. The King of kings himself. Would you bow your heads with me? If perchance you have not been living for Jesus. You've been living life your way. Maybe even you've tried to be good at times. Maybe you've tried some changes, but things have not gone as you had hoped in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace. They're not going well inside of you. And you know that what you need today is a Savior. He makes that offer to you. To know Jesus. To know His presence. It's not about just having knowledge. It's about experiencing the living God. And we offer that to you today. Jesus Christ. Emmanuel. The babe who comes to lay his life down for you. It doesn't matter what anybody around you thinks about this. Because when you stand before God, you... Alone will stand before God. And the question is, He's invited you into His heart. Will you accept that invitation? So, as I close in prayer, it's with an offer. Maybe you haven't done that yet. I'd encourage you, just say, Jesus, come into my heart. I want you. This Christmas, I want this Christmas to be different than any other. I don't want it to be just about the gifts under the tree. I don't want it to be just about our family. I want it to be about you. And I would encourage you, if, if you invite him in, tell somebody. Tell your spouse, perhaps, or a friend who invited you here today. Tell somebody, I've done that today. I've asked Jesus to come in. Tell me. I'd like to be able to rejoice with you. Father, I thank you for this day and time that we've had together as friends and family, but most of all, as your people. Lord, I recognize there are churches all around this community that are probably doing similar to us. They're they're telling the Christmas story in one way or another, each unique in their own way. But all together, we want to glorify we want to magnify and exalt Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came in the flesh as a baby, who lived a perfect life, and then died upon a cross for our sins. We want to celebrate not just the babe, we want to celebrate you. You were the Son before you came to this earth and you will be the Son forever, eternally. We receive all of your good gifts to us this Christmas season. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. Have a wonderful rest of your day. God bless you.